listeners. Uh, welcome to our IP podcast today. My name is Maya Harris, and I'm a partner at Troutman Pepper's IP Litigation Group. Uh, I'm joined today by two of my partners, Andy Zappia from our Health Sciences Group, who focuses on IP litigation, and Lou Del Judice, also from our Health Sciences Group, who focuses on patent prosecution and strategic counseling. So, you know, it's it's been a little over seven months since the COVID-19 crisis has hit both of our respective states, Massachusetts and New York. Uh, And maybe I'm speaking for myself, but I'll be honest, I did not anticipate uh, seven months passing and still having to think about this and how it might be affecting our clients and our practices. But here we are. Looks like we might be here for a little bit longer. Uh, from an IP perspective, uh, you know, in many ways, I think our clients and we have been lucky. Uh, the pandemic has not caused too much disruption in our practices, uh, you know, aside from proceedings that that maybe uh, require us to be in person, jury trials and the like. Uh, we haven't been disrupted too much. But um, that said, early on in the pandemic, we, we saw some pushback from a public relations standpoint on some decisions by owners of IP to enforce right then and particularly their decisions to seek injunctive relief. Um, And now that the pandemic has stretched on for a little bit, you know, I, I personally started to thinking, well, you know, maybe we need to start thinking about this crisis and the length and the depth of it as just one of those things that you weigh when you decide to enforce IP rights. And I think you will both agree with me that we always think about non-judicial issues and non-legal issues when making those decisions. Um, But I thought now might be a a ripe time to talk about it, given the fact that we're kind of in the middle of this thing. So Andy, let me start with you. What do you think? If you're a patent owner, is, is now the time to enforce your patents? And are those decisions dependent in any way on whether the accused products or the patented technology uh, relates in, in some way to pandemic-related issues, PPP, therapeutics, vaccines, that kind of thing. Sure. So thanks, Maya. So I watch the dockets every day, and there's um, a lot of patent enforcement going on throughout the pandemic. Um, statistically, in certain areas of technology, there may be slightly less litigation activity, but patent owners are still enforcing their rights in in forms across the United States. And for technologies unrelated to the pandemic, I think most patent owners have determined that they're going to follow a business as usual approach with regard to IP protection and IP enforcement. And that's certainly true for clients I work with for technologies that aren't directly related to COVID-19 type issues. And it's true, early on in the pandemic, we had some judges who were highly critical of parties seeking, for example, injunctive relief. And there was a well-known decision in a trademark case where a judge really went after a party seeking an injunction saying, well, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Why are you seeking an injunction on this trademark? Um, And that maybe that was a little unfair to that party because that that client had had rights that wanted that they wanted enforced. But I do think the calculation is different for clients who have technologies that are directly related to the pandemic. So whether it's therapeutics or diagnostics or vaccines or 
personal protective equipment if clients have patent rights that go right to technologies that are important uh, to public safety and uh, the efforts to deal with the pandemic. Patent owners in that area, and we've seen some reference to this by some companies, are being more careful. And I think that's a, a business consideration in, in doing so. And one of the benefits in patent world for that is that there's not, no statute of limitations for patent infringement. There's a six year look back for damages, but no statute of limitations as such. And latches really doesn't exist for patent enforcement either, as long as you're seeking remedies for that six year look back. So for companies that have technology right in that space, uh, I, I do think you're seeing some hesitancy Either, either implicit or you know explicit statements that they aren't going to enforce rights. And that makes sense from a business standpoint because a company could be heavily criticized for seeking, for example, to enjoin a vaccine or to en enjoin a new version of a therapeutic that could be used for COVID-19. But outside that particular realm, I'm not seeing a lot of hesitancy on, on behalf of patent owners to enforce their rights. And, and I, I think that's because in some ways this pandemic is just the way we live now. And until it gets you know, markedly better, it's going to continue that way and, and companies are going about their business. So, and this is not entirely unheard of, either an explicit or an implicit decision not to enforce patents. I mean, Elon Musk famously, Lou pointed this out to me uh, when we first started talking about this, Elon Musk famously uh, announced at one point that Tesla wouldn't enforce its patents. So, you know, you're, you're a patent owner, you maybe decide for reasons having nothing to do with the strength of your portfolios that you're not going to enforce. You know, Lou, from your perspective, does that kind of decision decision by a client, uh, whether for a period of time or, or just generally affect the way you think about prosecution? Yeah, certainly. So the first decision, I mean, there's sort of the, we'll, do, we'll start with the Tesla decision, which was we're not enforcing anything in our portfolio. Uh, so that's one view of it. And recently we've seen other companies that have said uh, we're not going to enforce certain portions of our portfolio. And, and so that's going to make a difference. Uh, if, it, if you're on the portion route, then you need to be careful as you prosecute to make sure the patents you want in that portion and not in that portion so that you can clearly delineate what you may be able to enforce and not enforce. Some announcements have time limits on them, only till the end of the pandemic we hear. Uh, and so that's another thing you need to look at. You've got 20 years on these patents, depending on when you file them. So you have to think about what the children are going to look like and, and what claims to go after now and what claims to go after after the pandemic so that you're not sort of looping some things in to your promise because you haven't claimed them yet. Uh, that's another way of thinking about it. You know, the other thing is if, if you're sort of saying things like almost like the Elon Musk thing and the Tesla patents, are you making sort of a standard essential patent now? Is there going to be SEP issues? And then on top of all of that is if you're really going to go forward with it and you're really going to dedicate everything out to the public, and you're still going to go after some technology just so you can lock it up and have some control over it. Is there other technology you want to keep as secret sauce and keep as a trade secret if you can? And then keep that in your back pocket. It's one thing to allow uh, sort of your generic technology out into the into the world uh, free of charge. But, you know, you do have stockholders sometimes and you still have need some competitive advantage. So there may be some secret sauce that if you can keep secret, uh, there may be decisions not to pursue in a portfolio. 
if part of your decision was already that you're going to dedicate it to the public. Uh, so it does make for a little bit of uh, strategic decisions and just not business as usual as you prosecute. I mean, it strikes me that there are some defensive purposes for continuing with a robust strategic portfolio, too. I mean, just because you decide to enforce doesn't mean anyone else is going to make that same decision, right? That's right. And the other thing is, is a lot of tech companies and a lot of clients sometimes settle their disputes by cross-licensing. Right. I'll give you mine if you give me yours. And if you have nothing in your back pocket to license, then the only way to sometimes solve things is cash. Um, so it may be better to have a big lump of patents in the back of your pocket um, that you can, you can give a little for and give a little out. So I think that's part of why um, even companies that have made this promise still go forward with patenting and still go forward with a portfolio. Um, you do want to have a little bit of leverage and you still want to have a little bit of leeway when you're playing with your competitors, especially when you're in a high stakes game and if it's expensive, whether it be electric cars or the next breakthrough antiviral or therapeutic, um, you want to make sure you have some control of the genie you're letting out of the bottle. That's your technology. So what does this really look like then? Uh, you know, there's a, a patent owner continuing to seek patent coverage, deciding that maybe right now is not the time to enforce. Andy, what would we want to think about as litigators to make sure no rights are being affected by this decision? And for how long does that process continue? So I think part of the calculation is the difference between seeking injunctive relief and seeking damages, uh, because if you are within um, the, these key technologies for COVID-19 response and you're continuing to build your portfolio, um, you can decide not to seek injunctive relief against competitors who might be infringing because of the pandemic, but you still have that option at a later time, maybe after the vaccine is out and being distributed, to use your patent portfolio for a licensing revenue or if you had to litigate for damages. Um, and as long as you're not making any kind of affirmative representations about your actions, I don't see how um, holding off enforcement efforts for the next few years on patents could be effectively used by a defendant against you because of the way the case law has developed on um, patent infringement and the absence of statute of limitation and the severe limitations on the availability of any latches defenses. Calculation is a little different if you make affirmative representations of non-enforcement, but I think folks who have done that have been pretty careful of how they've phrased it. In any event, developing a portfolio makes sense because it builds enterprise value for these companies, and at some point they may be acquired, they may sell their patents, and these acquirers or purchasers are, could make their own decisions about enforcement. But I think in, in the teeth of the pandemic, and in these key technology areas, what a lot of companies could opt to do is realize that they have monetary value in these patents later and opt not to seek injunctive relief now, which from a business perspective makes a lot of sense because of the uh, public backlash that could ensue if you attempted to restrain a life-saving technology from getting to the people. What, what about, we've been talking about patent owners here, but what about the other side of the equation? Is, is now the time to kind of publicly seek out licensing? Oh, for defendants? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting calculation for defendants because, um, or potential defendants, if you're, if you're developing a, um, a technology that could infringe other IP, 
do you want to necessarily highlight that to these other owners uh, who have potential patents that could assert? Or do you want to um, continue down the road of development and wait and hold off on that any kind of licensing discussion until later? It's, it's a tough kind of business call for a potential target of an infringement action. Uh, I certainly, if I were a potential target, I wouldn't bank on um, these patent owners developing portfolios that they're going to forbear from enforcement for the long term. Because I think if you look at the pattern of how patent owners operate, once we get past this crisis period, I wouldn't anticipate that those patent owners are not going to use the portfolios that they've developed. Another thought on that is uh, when you look at the portfolios, when you, if you're starting to develop a, a series of technology and expertise in a technology, as we've seen with the pandemic, uh, it, these baseline technologies get carried over to the next crisis or the next disease or the next problem. You know, the, the, it's the Ebola virus that J&J developed that they're using as 80% of the backbone for their COVID one. So if you think you're going to be in this space for a long time, even though you're getting the baseline technology for free, quote unquote, now, if you're going to continue using that as your model, you may need a license because it, it may be what you're doing for the next 10 or 15 years when the next disease comes down the road. What about, I'll throw a curveball at you, what about kind of thoughts about willfulness at this point in time, right? So, I mean, so you've got, let's hypothetically say you've got an explicit representation by a patent owner that they aren't going to enforce. Does that alter any uh, any willfulness charges later if there's an acquisition and someone does decide to enforce? Yeah, I think, I'm not even sure the courts have ever dealt with that one because usually patent owners don't, uh, this, is the, this is an odd scenario, right? So um, typically on a willfulness determination, not knowledge of a, of a patent that might be infringed and you proceed to develop a, a technology that knowing of that a patented patent rights of that um, you could be infringing upon that can support willfulness. It's, uh, it's a rare circumstance that there uh, is a representation that rights would not be enforced. And the, the extent to which you could rely on that, I think, is an open question in, in the courts. I think so, too. I, yeah. I tend to agree. I tend to agree. What about patent challenges, right? So, I mean, we've been talking about enforcement infringement. We really haven't been talking about, you know, challenging the, the validity itself. And, and, you know, the window's only open for so long for PGRs, for example. Are, are you still inclined to challenge patents even now in a pandemic? Well, that's another good thought because of the window, right? There's only a certain amount of time you're allowed to challenge these things. Uh, and if you're looking out at your portfolio and you think, and you've got the, the, the competitor's portfolio has got 20 years on it, but now's the time you may have to, uh, if you really think you have to knock that patent out of the park to, to go on with your business strategy, you know, in the, especially in the pharmaceutical space, these things take years. They're not, it's not fly by night, right? That these things can take decades to get from one end to the other before we see it in the public. So you've got to be thinking long-term. At some point, we all hope in the nearest future that this all ends and we go back to normal, uh, but your business is still going to keep ticking along and, and your development pipeline is still going to be ticking along. And if there's a, if, if you would normally challenge it pre-pandemic, 
it's going to be hard for me to tell you maybe you shouldn't be challenging it now. Uh, it's not as bad as it's sort of the flip of the coin. You're not, you know, restricting people from doing practicing that patent. You're actually sort of forcing that technology into the public domain, and maybe you can get a little bit more of a white knight look of it. Um, so it's not as horrible, but it's still a lot of coin. It's, you know, they're still expensive proceedings, not as expensive as litigation, uh, to be undertaking for a patent that you, quote, unquote, have a license to right now. Right. Um, yeah. or, have a, or a free pass to right now. So that's the other side of the equation, that maybe your business is hurting, maybe cash is strapped. Do you really make this challenge for a patent that's not a short-term worry? Yep. Yeah, and I, I concur with that. And I think the issue is a little less controversial for challengers at the patent office because they're not taking a public action that could necessarily prevent a product from getting to consumers. They're challenging the effort to patent the technology that another company is working on. And they could they could easily say that by doing this, they're they're promoting the ability for these sorts of therapies or products to get to the public because they're trying to deal with what they view as a improper effort to exclude others. So I think I think it's a little less controversial on the challenger side, and I think um, you're less likely to be um, criticized from from a, you know, a public interest standpoint if you're challenging patent now. I mean, I, I think I think that begs the question then on kind of all the other IP-related issues that we all deal with, right? So ownership issues, inventorship issues, uh, licensing disputes, uh, breaches of confidentiality obligations. I mean, it strikes me that the same analysis applies to those. And when you're weighing these kind of PR and, and business concerns against uh, enforcing your rights and, and, and making sure you're doing it. Uh, your IP interest. Is that fair to say? I think so. I think so. I think like these these disputes pop up all the time and and while companies may restrain themselves or work a little harder to, to find cooperative solutions in the current environment, um, these disputes are going to percolate eventually, right? It might take a little longer than normal because of the, the current environment, but I wouldn't I wouldn't expect um, a long-term secession of enforcing or you know pursuing disputes when when one company believes another company has wronged them in one way or another whether it's contract inventorship confidentiality um we're going to see those disputes um in the same manner we've seen them before although there might be a lull in the short term right i think the only Part of the equation that goes into that is if you're going to make the challenge and if you're going to make a challenge for, say, inventorship, which means now the ownership of that patent may change, right? That technology now, if you, company B is now the owner, then you better make sure that if you're going to take that patent out from somebody who's made a promise and you haven't, that's the only thing I can see that may be sticky. Uh, you may have to, you may, you may be able to get bragging rights as the inventor, but you better make sure then that you keep to the same promise or else you're gonna be held to a higher standard in the public eye if you're gonna make the challenge and then pull it out from under everybody. Final question for both of you. When does this all end? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, 
the good news is there's lots of companies working on vaccines and there's some some companies are getting some good reports back on their studies others have had some issues crop up but hopefully we see a vaccine um, by the middle of next year that is approved and can be distributed widely right that's that to me looks like the best case scenario currently and that that will lead to a lot of other loosening up of restrictions i would hope so but my guess is as good as anybody else's all right well i'm taking your word for for an awful lot here andy i'm counting on you yeah well yeah it's been a, it's a been a very a weird environment for everybody and um in some ways the ip business i think has been less impacted than some other businesses because I, I see with our clients are still filing for patents and maybe they're not litigating as much over certain technologies but a lot of the normal work in the ip space and from just from my personal experience has continued um, i agree with that andy on the prosecution side we have a number of clients that are chasing down covid related vaccine technologies so we're they're just as busy they're, they're still filing patents they're still trying to get them in and out of the patent office now more than ever, right, to a certain extent, there's a little more fast tracking to it. From a personal standpoint, you know, we can work remote, so it's not that much of an impact for our clients either. Our clients seem to be moving along. So it's, it's an interesting uh, view of the world when people say, when is it going to end? Uh, I hope soon for most of the people, but um, luckily we can just keep moving along. Busy but different. That's how yes, it is. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Um, and I, uh, to our listeners, I hope you tune in again. Thank you. Thank you. Copyright Troutman Pepper Hamilton Sanders LLP. These recorded materials are designed for educational purposes only. This podcast is not legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individual participants. Troutman Pepper does not make any representations or warranties, express or implied, regarding the contents of this podcast. Information on previous case results does not guarantee a similar future result. Users of this podcast may save and use the podcast only for personal or other non-commercial educational purposes. No other use, including, without limitation, reproduction, retransmission or editing of this podcast may be made without the prior written permission of Troutman Pepper. If you have any questions, please contact us at Troutman.com.